We are back with another edition of Buckeye Talk from the Cleveland.com Ohio State coverage crew. I'm Doug Maurice. I'm here with Bill Landis and Ari Wasserman. Uh, we are going to talk Big Ten this week, not just Ohio State. But obviously Ohio State's very involved in that because Ohio State is the best team in the Big Ten. But the game against Wisconsin this week, uh, I think it's only the second time ever that Ohio State and Wisconsin are playing with both in the top ten. Uh We'll have Bill talk about this. He's our AP voter. But the Big Ten this week has four teams in the top ten for the first time, I think, since 1960. Um, so the Big Ten is rolling, baby, is rolling, rolling. And also I have, I think, a different perspective a little bit on Ohio State because I covered my first Browns game uh, for Cleveland.com this week. And it is a palate-cleansing experience to <laughs> – Cover Ohio State for eleven years and then go to a go to a Browns game. Uh, Terrell Pryor, I thought was going to become the Browns quarterback while I was there. The Ohio State band played at halftime, and I was like, "Wow, this is just like being at Ohio State game." And then Tom Brady just started dropping passes on the fingertips of uh, receivers while the Browns defensive backs fell down, and it was like, "Oh, right, this is not an Ohio State game." So. Um, Guys, let's just, you know, again, we like to be positive. We like to be upbeat. That's what we're all about at all times. <laughs> just short answer to get it rolling for the people on the treadmill, people listening in the car right now who just want some uplifting stuff, man. How good is the Big Ten? Best conference in college football, right? Bill, right? Uh, no. Hater. No, I don't think so. I think if you would have asked me before the season which was the best conference in college football, I might have actually said the Pac-12, which is, like, completely wrong. Um, that is bold of you to admit that. Yeah. That really is so wrong. Yeah, what is – but, like, yeah, well, I don't even know where the thought process is. The only thing – I guess Stanford – Stanford going to go off the track here or whatever. Yeah. Only, the, only the Big 12 would have been more wrong than that. Uh, American Athletic Conference. <laughs> Catch it. Um, no, I don't think the Big, 20, Big 10 is the best conference in college football. I just, like, I can't – it's like cliche, but the SEC, man, the SEC West in particular. I was looking at Alabama's schedule today, and they just played at Arkansas. They play at Tennessee this week. They play Texas A&M the week after. Like, you know what no the thing about it is? That. The thing about it is, is that how do you define best conference in college football? Do you define it based on which teams have the best teams at the top, or which conference has the best teams at the top? Or which conference has consistently good teams that could play a very good game every single week? And I think it's possible that right now the Big Ten has the best two teams at the top with Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah. Uh, but, like, Ohio State gets to play Illinois and Indiana and Purdue every year. And, like, I don't feel like Alabama ever gets the Indiana. Maybe Indiana's a bad example now. Indiana, Kevin Wilson. He's got a rolling a little bit. He's got a going a little bit. But, like, there's no off game, I feel like, in the SEC from a talent standpoint that maybe Ohio State might get a few breaks every year um, from that vantage point. So, like, Tennessee is a tough game. And I think Arkansas is a tough Arkansas game. Arkansas is a, is a pretty tough game. Than game. Most of what you're going to find in the Big Ten. So, the, the debate is how do you kind of view the idea of which conference is the best? Do you view from top to bottom or do you view from top to top, if that makes sense? Well, one thing... I feel like Indiana is almost like that classic middle-of-the-pack SEC team that we're talking about. Um, like Indiana's Tennessee? 
Well, Tennessee's like a top ten team actually this year. I mean, but like they're they're like uh, Arkansas. 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 They are. Like, well, so Indiana beat Michigan State, right? And this is the debate, and I don't, I don't want to get too bogged down in this because I think this is it's. There's no right answer to this, but here's what I know: people think the perception is. This is what Big Ten fans think. Big Ten fans think that when a lower team upsets a good SEC team, that is viewed as the strength of the SEC, and when a lower Big Ten team upsets a top big top Big Ten team. That is viewed as a weakness for the Big Ten. So, did you view... Now, we just saw Indiana. We haven't seen Michigan State in person yet. We will. Do you view Indiana's win over Michigan State this year as a sign of strength for the Big Ten or as a sign of weakness? I think I view it as a sign of strength. Indiana was good. Indiana was better than I thought it was. And I know it's... They were like in an odd way always give Ohio State trouble. Like that's one thing, but I thought that that was like a pretty good football team that we saw Ohio State play. And I know Michigan State's down and they lost some talent and they have some issues going on there. They lost three games in a row now. Um, but Michigan State is not a bad football program. It's not a bad football team. It's got Mark D'Antonio, who's one of the best coaches in college football. That Indiana beat them and then I and then looked good to me against Ohio State. I think is a sign of strength more than it is a sign of weakness. I think that that Indiana team. All week we were talking, Urban Meyer was, you know, talking about how good they are and how they finally arrived. And all week it kind of seemed like to me it was just him saying nice things about an opponent like he always does. Yeah. But I will say that I do know one of his friends. that Indiana, that Indiana team that we saw on Saturday is the best version of Indiana that I've seen on seven years covering Big Ten football. And, um, you know, I think that the program is definitely moving in the right direction for an Indiana standard. I don't know that I would put them in the same conversation as Arkansas. I don't know if they are really that good um, from like a middle-of-the-pack SEC team. I just think that they're a lot better than the regular Indiana team because the regular Indiana team is like a 60 to nothing type of team. I mean, that Indiana team lost to Wake Forest. They struggled with Florida International. We're not talking about like a top 25 fringe team here. They're not that good, but from an Indiana standpoint, they're much improved. All right, so that's, that's just – I want to lay a baseline here for a second. And then I have a very specific thing I want to ask you guys because I think uh, the thing I'm going to ask, that is the most important thing you decide on if you think the Big Ten's good. Hmm. Let me drop this baseline though first. Top 10 teams right now, the Big Ten, as we said, has four according to the AP poll. Ohio State is two, Michigan is four, Wisconsin is eight, Nebraska is 10. Okay, uh, The SEC has three teams. They have Alabama at number one. They're getting almost all the first place votes. Uh, Texas A&M is undefeated. They're number six. And then Tennessee is number nine. Tennessee just lost to Texas A&M uh, in a crazy game. Um, that was a really good matchup. Then Old Miss is 12. Um, with two losses. With two losses. Uh, and again, that's the kind of thing I think some people would point to and say, see, like the SEC is yeah. overrated. It's a two-loss team. They're three and two. Um, and they're 12th in the country, you know, ranked ahead of a bunch of one-loss teams and even some undefeated teams. West Virginia's 4-0, and they're eight spots behind Ole Miss. You know, why is Ole Miss there? If Ole Miss was in a different conference, they probably would not be 12th in the country with two losses. So, um, 
You know, the ACC is much better. I think Clemson, the last cup, Clemson is an absolutely legit program. Clemson and Michigan State are two teams that I always get tired of people saying Clemson's Clemsoning and Sparty's going to be Sparty because it's just not true anymore. It's offensive to me. People are so stupid. <laughs> it's like, it's just laundry. It's a different coach. It's different players. It's it's just laundry. Like, just because John L. Smith or whoever the old Clemson, you know, Tommy Bowden, I don't know. That has nothing to do with what Clemson and Michigan State are today. They're both really good. Clemson is an absolutely legit powerhouse kind of team right now. Um, Louisville is unbelievable. Lamar Jackson is unbelievable. Florida State's down a little bit, but the ACC is much better. But I do think you can make an argument for the Big Ten as the best conference, and I think your argument would start with this, and this is the question that I want to ask you guys. If you are going to argue that the Big Ten is the best conference, your argument starts with defense. The number one defense in the country and fewest points allowed per game is Michigan. Number two is Ohio State. Number four is Wisconsin. Okay? In a world where 42-41 games are not that unusual anymore, when people chuck it around, I have seen national college football writers early in this season talk about how nobody plays defense anymore. When you hear that three of the four best defenses in the country are in the Big Ten, is that legit? Or is there some argument in there that they just haven't played that many good offenses? Maybe the Big Ten offenses they've played aren't that good. Michigan and Ohio State both have shutouts of Rutgers that have contributed to that. Or do you believe that the Big Ten does play defense on a higher level than any other conference in college football? No, I think the Big Ten plays offense on a lower level than everyone else in college football. I think that can Hater! I, it's, I, those numbers are very misleading. I was looking at it this morning, actually, because um, I was looking at some stuff from 2014 when Ohio State played Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship because I remember how good that Wisconsin defense was coming into that game, and Ohio State hung 59 points on them, and Wisconsin still ended the season ranked number four in defense after losing 59 to nothing in the conference championship game. I just think they don't play good offenses. Like, uh, who, who's the best offense that Wisconsin has played this year? Is it Michigan? They played – their two yeah. big wins are Michigan. LSU. LSU. And LSU's offense and LSU, like, didn't they like, fire their offensive coordinator? And right switch their the quarterback. Yeah. Like, LSU has talent, but they don't know how to build an off- offense around that talent. Michigan State is the – I, I just think – and, and make the same argument with Ohio State's defense. I think Ohio State's defense is really good. But I think when you play good offenses in college football, those offenses score points. And we've seen Ohio State in the biggest games Ohio State has played. You know, Michigan State in 2014, Michigan State scored points. And they played Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, and Alabama put up 40. Um, good offenses score in college football. I just don't think those teams that you've listed have played good offenses yet. Ari, is the Big Ten defense legitimately better than everybody else? You know, I think I'm going to agree with Bill on this one. Um you know, Ohio State played Oklahoma, and I think Oklahoma is basically viewed as a dynamic offense. Whether they're a great team or a good team is still debatable to some people, but I don't think that anybody would debate that they would be able to score. Mm-hmm. They put up 24 points, one with special teams. So 17, that's a pretty solid number, I guess, uh, for Ohio State. But when it comes to Wisconsin, there's nothing I've seen from them from a defensive standpoint, meaning that was impressive in the sense that they took a good offense and made them look bad. 
they took bad offenses and continued to make them look bad. Um, and like even from the Michigan game to give up 14, I mean, Michigan's not supposedly that good of an offensive team right now, right? So, um, the, uh, the way I would lean probably is the way Bill sees it. I don't know. Michigan's fourth in the country in offense. In yards or scoring? Points. Again, they just 78, 78 on, on Rutgers, Rutgers this past week yeah. probably helps, but like, yeah, Michigan, Michigan put up 63, 51, 45, 49, and 78 out of five out of their six games. I don't think you, I, I, so that's, a, I mean, I don't know that people don't think Michigan has a good, I mean, so yeah, if Michigan has a good offense and then Wisconsin yeah. deserves some credit for that. Um, and SEC defenses give up points, like Alabama gave up 40 to Ole Miss. And Colorado has a pretty good offense for Michigan's defense, right? Colorado might end up being like, one of the two best teams in the Pac-12. They just lost to USC, but they are they're four and two, and I think better than people. Like even was that game three weeks ago, and I was like, oh, Michigan struggling with Colorado. I think that's a, a little bit more legit of a win. So I I, I do think, and um, I have a story that will drop by the time you listen to this about how in these tight games, Ohio State usually has a dynamic playmaker advantage on the opponent and that you can break down a lot of stuff and you can break down Wisconsin's offensive line and Wisconsin's top five defense and all these things. Um, but when you break down who's a guy that's going to turn an eight-yard gain into a 50-yard gain, Ohio State just wins those matchups with almost everybody. And I think maybe what you guys are saying, again, that if these Big Ten teams have great defensive numbers – Maybe they're not playing that many offenses that have a lot of dudes that turn eight-yard gains into 50-yard gains, right? That maybe there yeah. are more guys like that in the ACC, in the SEC, in the Big 12, right? I mean, the, the great talent that maybe you just don't have as many guys like that um, on Michigan State, on Penn State, on Iowa, on Wisconsin, on Minnesota. That You know, I think maybe... Maybe Michigan and Ohio State, the top of the top Big Ten teams, get guys like that. But maybe there aren't, the, maybe there isn't the depth of game breaking talent through the Big Ten, which then allows defenses to zero in on certain things. If you stop the run, we've talked, I think, we're not going to turn this into this. This has not been a great quarterback league over the years. There aren't guys who are going to beat you single handedly. And all of a sudden, you're a defense that only gives up 10 points a game. Yeah, I think it, it doesn't mean to me that, that Wisconsin and Michigan and Ohio State. Um, doesn't mean to me that it doesn't mean to me that they don't have good defenses. I'm just hesitant to say that they have great defenses because they're ranked in the top ten in scoring. But they, I, I just I haven't. I mean, Wisconsin can change my mind on Saturday. It's, like it's the same thing that we were talking about last week and the week before. Of like, the only way you really know that is by seeing who they've played, right? And it's like, it's the same category of was Michigan State and Notre Dame good because when they played each other, they look good and Texas look good. The thing that Doug brought up last week, and it's like it's kind of hard to tell. Sometimes it's like, no matter what they do, even in a shutout, the team they played is bad. I mean, shutting out a college football team is tough, right? But it was Rutgers, so does it count? Like, and that's just it's it's just hard to. I think that when you take it all away and you peel the layers back, in my opinion, I think that the Big Ten plays offense a step back behind some of the dynamic playmakers that the SEC has from a recruiting standpoint, and even if you look at the recruiting rankings, there's more SEC teams in the top 25 than there are. And we're talking about the entire conference, not just the top five. And I think from top to bottom, there are probably better players in the SEC than there are in the Big Ten, which leads to harder offenses, or better offenses that are harder to stop. The one thing, though, there are some awful defenses out there in college football. So, I mean, I do, I think that, and the, 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 
where people always point to that is the Big 12, that the Big 12 plays no defense. So I think like there are some places where they play none, where I do think sometimes there are defenses in other major conferences where they give up 30 points to air, you know, and that just doesn't, that doesn't happen here. But I, you know, I do, I didn't watch much of it, but as we get ready, and this is, I think it was a, it's a critical game to analyze for Ohio State fans, that 14 to 7 Michigan win over Wisconsin, right? Mm-hmm. That to me, and I know maybe there wasn't great quarterback play there, but isn't that, on some level, isn't that a, a plus for the Big Ten? Was that a good, tough football game? If you have, if let's say that Wisconsin, Ohio State, and Michigan are the three best teams in the Big Ten, they're the three highest ranked at the moment. So when you had a matchup, and and the one thing we're going to get this year, and we didn't get it last year, all the best teams are playing each other. Yeah, because Wisconsin. Beat Michigan State, lost to Michigan, is playing Ohio State this week. Ohio State is playing Nebraska. Michigan is playing Iowa. Like the cross-division things, the fact that we now have nine division, nine Big Ten games and we're getting three cross-division games instead of two, and just the way the schedule fell, we're, we're getting a lot more answers from the schedule than we usually did. But if you have two – that was a two-top team, two top ten teams in that game as well. Yeah. If you are a conference and you have – Two top ten teams playing. Would you rather the final score be fifty-two forty-nine, or would you rather the final score be fourteen to seven, I'd which probably, is better football? I'd probably rather it be twenty-four seventeen. Okay, but those are but if choices, not, though. I mean, if you're going to lean, if you're going to lean extreme, and I agree with you, I would rather it be a very solid take advantage of opportunities thirty-one twenty-seven game. That's the best football, I yeah. think. And again, we've talked about what the committee, what the college football selection committee likes. I think they like teams that do it on both sides of the ball. I see. What, yeah, I mean, but, you but want- if you're going to lean extreme, if you're going to be Big Twelve, no defense, or Big Ten, all defense, which is better football? Which so from is a national perspective, football? which if you were someone, yes, if you're a college football fan sitting in your living room in Alabama, I'm taking the scoring, and I'll tell you why. Everybody watched that Texas-Notre Dame game, and granted, it did go to overtime. There was scoring all over the field, and when that game was over, didn't Texas get a ton of credit for being a legit team? Mm -hmm. And I sometimes feel like exciting playmaking ability from an offensive standpoint makes you look better than an ugly 14-7 game. Because like we came up from the press box um, from Ohio State's game and got to watch the second half of the Michigan game, and it was almost painful to watch at times because nobody could get a first down. And like, if even if it's because both defenses are really, really, really good, it's still kind of hard to watch. Because why do people watch football for offense? See points, yeah. And uh, that's that's the so it might not be right, it might not be fair, but I think Notre Dame got a heck of a lot more credit for its. This is a great point you're bringing up. I'm getting ready to jump in. Continue I, your uh, thought. Like I'm just saying, Texas got a lot of credit for doing what Notre Dame did. Nobody cares that Michigan beat Wisconsin by seven from a national perspective. And the final result. I completely agree with what you said, what people thought when that Notre Dame-Texas game But then the final ended. result The is final result losses. is yeah. both Notre Dame and Texas were fake good. Fake good. Fake good. Fake good. They have screwed up the analysis of the entire college football world <laughs> by being fake good. They were not good football teams. Yeah. Texas lost to Cal. Notre Dame lost to Duke. And NC State. And NC State. 
How could it look so good then? Why did it look because good? Because it's, it's too bad fake. <laughs> it's fake good. So it's the same reason why but Miami, Miami Ohio plays Eastern Michigan. It's like Michigan might be better off long term for winning a 14-7 slugfest at home that needed to stop on the final drive to win. But it's just not. Yeah, like I get. Yeah, I, I agree. Think with what's you. important? Just, it, what's important is who it's impressive to. Because I yes. think to the casual football fan. 52 to 49 is more exciting to the playoff committee who's deciding who gets to play for the championship. I think 14 to 7. And I think there needs to be a line that's drawn between exciting and impressive. Absolutely. And I think I think you're making great points, but I think they're not necessarily the same thing. They're not. And anyway, it's been it's over and over again we see it. So so let me ask then again and I think the whole point of this is we're going to get an answer to this on Saturday. We love fake good. We love talking about fake good because there are so much fake good. There's so much <laughs> fake good out there. Um, is Wisconsin, as we sit here right now, do you think Wisconsin at four and one with wins over Michigan State and LSU and a 14-7 loss at Michigan in the Big House again? That is, is Wisconsin good? They're number eight in the country in the AP poll. For you too, is Wisconsin good or fake good? I, I lean a little more towards fake good, and it's a, a large Hater. a large part of Hater. it. <laughs> I cannot I can't get that 2014 Big Ten total game out of my head where I thought that Wisconsin was good. Ohio State had its quarterback issues. I thought Ohio State was going to lose that game. Maybe I picked them to win, but I thought there was a chance Ohio State could lose that game. I think two out of the three picked them. And Ohio win. State won 59 to nothing against a Wisconsin team that had a. It's the same Wisconsin team we're going to see on Saturday. Good offensive line, awesome running back, defense doesn't allow bad teams to score. And I feel like we're walking into the same situation, and I think it's very possible we leave Camp Randall with Ohio State with like a three or four touchdown win. Um, I don't know if that means that Wisconsin's fake good, though. It certainly means they're not as good as Ohio State. But I think it's possible that Wisconsin might lose pretty handily to Ohio State but still be a good football Well, and the thing that, that we always kind of – I think it's kind of hard or easy to forget from our standpoint is is that we are in a unique position where we are covering consistently one of the top five best teams in college football. And sometimes I think we use, like when you ask Doug, is Wisconsin fake or real good? I think sometimes we use whether a team is good or not as whether they're on Ohio State's level. When the truth is, is that 95% of the programs in college football are never going to be on this level because that's just not the way they are. That doesn't mean they're not good. So I think we need to also take a step back and kind of think of like the standard that we're holding these other programs to because Wisconsin could be the 17th best team in the country, which doesn't sound sexy to an Ohio State fan because they want to be top five to number one. But being number 17 is a really good team in this world. So I think it's possible, and the way I look at it is, is Wisconsin good? Yes, I think they're good. I think they're number 14 or 15 or 16 in the country good, not top five good. One thing I want to throw in in here, um, I'm looking at some Football Outsider stats. You guys can find these at footballoutsiders.com. Um, they do a really good job of, of breaking stuff down sort of beyond uh, the very easy stats to read. And Bill was sort of making a point um, about, you know, what this points allowed per game. you got to look at the opposition a lot yeah. of other things. doesn't necessarily tell you everything. They have a... a a variable that takes a lot of things into account, and they have a defensive measurement. Um, Michigan is number one in total overall defense by their measurement. Wisconsin is six. Ohio State is seven. Hmm. And Penn State is 14. 
Um, the Big Ten, the ACC, and the SEC each have four teams in the top 14 of those rankings, and the Pac-12 has two. So uh, Ohio State drops a little bit in that. Um, again, Michigan is number one instead of uh, the Buckeyes. But um, I think that tells us just just a little bit more about it. Um, and I just think, you know, I, I wrote uh, before this weekend that I thought the Big Ten had two of the four best teams and uh, three of the best seven. And um, I thought that was like legit. And I thought that the, that the Wisconsin-Michigan game was legit. I mean, I think the thing that's funny is that a lot of times when we talk about uh, other college football teams, the attention goes to the quarterback spot. It goes to Deshaun Watson at Clemson. It goes to Lamar Jackson uh, at Louisville. And I can't remember if this was a podcast discussion or just us talking in the car. But, Bill, we were talking about, like, how many good teams there are that don't have great quarterbacks. You know, it's almost the oh, yeah. Alabama model that Alabama has not had. You know, A.J. McCarron was good. But, I mean, they're not, they're not running Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson out there. And Alabama wins all the time. And I think the Wisconsin-Michigan uh, model right now is much more hewing much closer to that Alabama model than, than maybe the, the Clemson kind of model because I don't think the Wisconsin or Michigan quarterback play was outstanding in that game. No. But I also think those are two legit defenses that make it really hard. Yeah, I think that stat you just pulled out from Football Outsiders is interesting because I think Wisconsin and Michigan have played much tougher schedules than Ohio State's played, I think. I mean, look, think about the teams they played. Michigan State having to play – or Wisconsin, excuse me, having to play LSU. I know LSU's down, but LSU was more talented than everyone on Ohio State's schedule but Oklahoma. And then they played each other, obviously. Michigan played Colorado. I think Colorado's probably better or as good as Indiana. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think it's, it's – maybe I'm not fair to, to these these kind of teams who – and maybe it's part – it goes back to what Ari was saying about being infatuated with – offense and dynamic athletes and big points and big numbers and stuff like that. And like, there's more than one way to win a football game. And like all we've known covering Ohio state is to blow teams out and, and score a bunch of touchdowns. Um, but I think because of that, we get sort of blinded to the fact that Michigan, maybe not so much Michigan, but a team like Wisconsin can be good without playing that way. And maybe, maybe the team is a little more legit than I'm willing to give it credit for based off that. But I, I just, it's hard for me to go, to that place when I've seen the type of athlete and, and the, the caliber of play that Ohio State puts out there every week compared to what I saw when I watched Wisconsin play against Michigan uh, a couple weeks ago. The one thing um, that's been hard is that, you know, Oklahoma, I think we were all sort of maybe ex excited is not the right word, but we liked the idea that Ohio State was going to have a real test early this year. They didn't have that last year, really, um, with Virginia Tech not being great. That, that Oklahoma test in week three, we all thought was going to be a barometer, like – Right, mm -hmm. and now it feels like not that much of a barometer because Oklahoma is a little bit iffy. But the thing is, um, Oklahoma opened with that thirty-three twenty-three loss to Houston, um, but they hung fifty-nine the next week. Then they beat after Ohio State. They scored fifty-two against TCU, and they scored forty-five against Texas. Right? They can't stop anybody. They, they're giving up like, I mean, they, the last three weeks they've given up more than 40 points each game, but they are, they are an offense that scores 40 or 50 points against decent competition every week. They scored 24 against Ohio state. So I think maybe Oklahoma, which went to the playoff last year, um, was picked by a lot of people to be a playoff contender again this year. They're not that 
They are not a playoff contender. They are not a great overall team. I think it's possible, though, that Oklahoma still is a really good offense. And Ohio State really just hemmed in Baker Mayfield, shut down the Oklahoma run game, and was an example of that kind of Big Ten defense. It was a great example. We just talked about Big 12, high scoring, no defense, right? Mm -hmm. Big 10, great defense, maybe not as high scoring. In that matchup, clearly the Big 10 defense beat the Big 12 offense. And I think that still is may end up being a pretty good Big 12 offense, but we saw what happened when a good Big 10 defense got its hands on it. Yeah, and I think that's, that's probably runs runs contrary to, I think, the way college football goes. Like, going into the Ohio State-Oklahoma game, I picked, like, a shootout because I, I thought Ohio State's defense was good, but I was just of the mind that when two good offenses get together, they're both going to score a ton of points. And I think largely that's that's true across college football. So for Ohio State to do that, I guess, yeah, that you put, now that you lay it out the way you just did, that's pretty impressive. And maybe it is possible that, that strong defense can carry you in college football. All right, let's do our fake uh, commercial. Again, we got, we're getting like 2,000 listens a week, man. Like, that's pretty good for us. We're kind of excited about our numbers. If you like podcasts and you're listening to this podcast right now on SoundCloud uh, by coming through cleveland.com slash OSU where you found the post, if you subscribe to us on iTunes at Buckeye Talk, um, tell your friends who listen to podcasts. Tell your friends about the Buckeye Talk podcast. it's Isn't it good? It's good, right? Is it good? Are you like it? Do you listen every week? I mean, week? you're a part of it, so it's amazing. Um, so we someday our dream is to have a real commercial in here. Um, have we done a fake underwear commercial before? I don't think I don't we know, I don't think Oh, <laughs> yeah. We, ta- we talked about, like, me undies. Yeah. We, we, like, talked about it. Why? You we have, like, a new special type of underwear well, you want to tell was, everyone about? It was weird, but it's not. I, I've Now I've, in the podcast that I listen to, I've seen competing fake uh, competing oh, yeah. underwear ads. It's like very popular with the mail your underwear stuff to you. Um, and I guess I guess I'm so infatuated with it. I already talked about it, but I mail your underwear. Yeah, like they send you underwear in the mail, and I just it's very strange to me. But it seems to be a thing that people are doing, getting your underwear mailed to you. Um, all right, so we so, already did that. And who has another fake ad? I think we should just roll with the underwear. I, I don't think the problem with. There's no problem with going to Target and getting Hanes. But I guess the thing is, we don't tr- you don't try on underwear, right? That's you the don't. one thing that if I were going to get clothes in the mail, I guess underwear would be the thing because you don't have to try it on. Yeah. But it. I think there is, like, you can wear whatever underwear you want and, like, basically be fine. But if you get a really comfortable pair of underwear, it's a game changer. Well, I think it's... Well, it's about the fly zone and the no-fly zone, isn't it? I don't even know what that means. It's like whether there's a... Where you go over or under while you're going to the bathroom. <laughs> Okay. Is that, was that a little bit too? I mean, it's no, the fly I'm, zone because right. some underwear comes with a hole. Right. And some, some you have to pull over. Some, yeah, doesn't? some don't have oh, yeah, no had, fly zone. I've never had that issue. Oh, that's There's a whole Curb Your Enthusiasm episode about it. No, I missed that. And Larry has an injury because of it. It's an incredible television episode. Okay. And there is certain type of underwear where there is no... No. For real? Yeah. And you have to go over the top? Over the top. Oh, I would. I don't know if I could go over the top. <laughs> it's it's a it's a whole uh, it's a whole ordeal. But some people find that the hole can be uncomfortable. Wow! But so you, I, <laughs> I don't know if we're getting. If I we're think going it's too possible far. that I've never had a really really comfortable pair of underwear. Then 
if you say, Bill, that when you have it, it's a game changer. Have Especially, you had it? Well, it's about yeah. whether or not you are no. a boxer or a brief guy. Because if you're a brief guy, then the comfort is a huge deal. Right. I think all boxers bunch and they're all kind of the same. But if you're a brief guy, it's about fabric. It's about the size. It's about how tight it goes around your leg. It's a whole thing. When I was uh, – before I moved down to my own when I was 21 years old, like every other man, uh, my mom bought my underwear for me. I just showed up and there was new underwear there. And I didn't have to say what brand or what style or what color it was. It was just there and I wore it because I didn't have any money to buy my own. And then I became an adult and started going out and purchasing my own underwear. And I have found a particular – I don't even know what brand it is, but it's, you buy it at Destination, Destination XL, which is where large men like myself shop. Most comfortable underwear I've ever had in my life. It's super expensive. It's like $25 for two pairs of boxer briefs. Really? But do they last a long time? Yeah. And I just like every now and then I'll just go and buy like another pack or two or four. And I'm building a nice collection. But you, the thing that I'm kind good, of stuck with this pre- is that. Good yeah. holiday present. Yeah. You were not specific as to why. I don't know. What don't, is it about? The fabric? I don't make them. Yeah. It's the fabric. They're like a little, they're a little thicker. Like the, the, oh. the fabric's a little bit thicker. It's almost like a. It's almost like a t-shirt material, but it's tighter. They're boxer briefs, so they're elastic at the bottom, so they don't bunch up. It's like I'm an interesting person when it comes to the underwear debate. Yeah. Uh, That's a whole other podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I hate bunching underwear. So I will never wear boxers again for the rest of my life. Really? Because I hate that when you pull up your pants or you pull them down or that they bunch. It's just annoying. So I'm definitely a boxer brief guy. Or it goes down to the thigh and squeezes the thigh. But then you have a squeeze? Because I would be worried that the squeeze... Because I'm a boxer guy. I'd be worried that the squeeze on the leg would be uncomfortable. No, I like the well, the thing about it, too, is that if you wear designer jeans, and this goes back to our jeans podcast, if you wear jeans that are baggier around your thighs, then boxers are more usable. But if you wear jeans that fit tightly around your thighs and your legs, then that's how they cause the bunch. Because I definitely, when I put my jeans on... I have to smooth my boxers out, but once they're smoothed, I don't have to re-smooth them. Like, they stay in position during the day. And I don't know. I've worn boxers for, like, 25 years. I don't know if I could go back. I've never worn boxers. Never. Not like not a boxer guy. I was a boxers guy. Then I switched to briefs, and I will never. I, we... went a, I went from a child in tidy whities to a teenager in boxer briefs, and I've been riding boxer briefs the whole time. Well, can we put a poll with the uh, – Yeah, for sure. I think maybe it's time we get podcast. back to football now. No, this is great. <laughs> that was a good seven minutes on uh, on underwear. Okay. Um, and whether or not it's necessary is an entire other debate. <laughs> Just because, yeah. so, like, you're <laughs> – We are down the rabbit hole now. Yeah. Um, Okay, so one of the reasons we wanted to talk about, and let's get some questions ready here, Bill, in a minute. Yeah. Um, but one of the reasons we wanted to talk about uh, how good the Big Ten is right now is because this is a big game coming up. This is a huge game coming up. It's Ohio State going on the road to a top 10 conference opponent. So last week we were skeptical of Indiana. Uh, we sort of didn't really think that it was anything Ohio State should really be that worried about. Uh, a lot of people think they didn't play that well or that, you know, a 21-point win was tight. I just think they were off a little bit. But still, even as – I think we have some respect for Indiana. They did beat Michigan State. I mean, they were not close to winning. Indiana was not close to winning last week. So it's it's early in the week here still. We'll have you more on this Thursday and Friday uh, and, you know, even Saturday morning before we get to the 8 o'clock kickoff. 
Should Ohio State be worried? Like, do you think Ohio State has a legit chance to lose to Oklahoma? It's what, a 10-point spread? Wisconsin. Uh, I'm sorry. A legit chance to lose to Wisconsin and a 10-point spread. Is there? Is it easy to imagine Ohio State losing this game? Easy? Um, like, does stuff have to go wrong for Ohio State to lose? I think so. Or could Ohio State just lose to a Wisconsin team that's at home and plays better? I think so. I think some things have to go wrong for Ohio State to lose. Uh, and again, it's just the disparity in talent. Like I watched, I watched the first half of Wisconsin versus Michigan, and I didn't come away thinking Wisconsin was bad, but I came away thinking that there is not the same, not even close to the same caliber of athlete that Ohio State has. Um, and teams have be, have won games with that kind of disadvantage before. I know that's the case. And being on the road in that kind of environment at night evens things out a little bit. Um, but I just I think Ohio State is is probably significantly better than Wisconsin. So I would and a scenario in which Ohio State loses to me has to be like disaster for Ohio State. If their passing game is as bad as it was against Indiana, nine of twenty-one for ninety-three yards, and half those yards came on the last play, last completed pass uh, that they had. Um, that is the kind of thing going wrong for them. I think that could lead to them losing that game because Wisconsin, I think, is a better defense. Yes, that can bottle Ohio State up a little bit if Ohio State becomes one-dimensional. You had some concerns. I'm an emotionally after. unstable yeah. guy. No, that's okay, though. It makes it interesting. I left the game, to borrow Urban Meyer's word, feeling alarmed if I were an Ohio State fan. Because I thought that they were... I mean, the reason why I liked them so much at the beginning of the year was because I thought they were rolling, and unless they played a good team, they weren't going to play like this. And I'm with you, Doug, in saying that one clunker isn't going to change the world. I think the problem when you need to become worried is that when clunkers turn into three or four in a row against teams that you're much better than. Fortunately for Ohio State, they have to play a good team this week, so there's no such thing as clunker. They just have to go win the game. Um, But they can't allow, if it was a clunker, for that to continue. I I think that what you said at the end is the thing that I would be concerned with. Wisconsin's defense, maybe I didn't give Michigan enough credit offensively at the beginning of this podcast, but Michigan scored basically 50 points in every game but one, and they scored 14 Yep. Against Wisconsin, and they scored 14 by scoring a touchdown late. Um, so there was a it was a very tightly contested game, and I think that if there are issues with Ohio State's passing offense, like real issues, and it wasn't just JT Barrett missed a few throws, that it's possible that Wisconsin could expose those. But I'm also with you, Bill, in the idea that I think it'd be hard to imagine a world where they went out to Wisconsin and lost, because I do think that Ohio State's defense is very good. And I think that Ohio State playing poorly should still be able to manage 27 points. And I think that would be the magic number of me saying if they get to 27, they won't lose. The thing, the, the two-pronged thing that I think is going to be interesting to find out about the Wisconsin defense and how Ohio State attacks it is the best team that Ohio State has played so far is Oklahoma. But Oklahoma, and I think, Bill, Bill I remember you were talking about it even before going into the game, Oklahoma had a glaring weakness at corner and that is exactly where they attacked with Noah Brown catching four touchdown passes who is still alive we confirm this week yes Um, so to our knowledge Wisconsin does not have that type of glaring weakness so if Wisconsin can limit the Ohio State run game at all, which, again, is easier said than done because that is a three-headed monster back there with JT Barrett, Mike Weber, and Curtis Samuel. 
if they can limit that and they don't have a such a hole for Ohio State to attack, attack in the throw game, that will be interesting. Bill, you wrote right after uh, the win over Indiana that, you know, can Ohio State throw it and does it even matter? Maybe they can get by without throwing it and just pounding the run. This, to me, would be the type, the type of game where you would find out for sure, right? Yeah. Does it matter or not? Are they going to be able? We talk about it a lot. It seems to come up like against Michigan State. You got to throw. You got to throw. They, they said um, earlier this. I mean, it's been the whole thing. They got to throw. They got to throw. This will tell us whether through the rest of the season Ohio State can get by without having to throw and just pounding with a diverse run game, or whether they're really going to have to do something. Yeah, and I don't know what it means. Like, because Urban Meyer said it before in the Oklahoma game. Like, we're not going to win if we're not balanced. We have to throw the ball. Like. Ohio State doesn't have to go into Camp Randall and throw for 300 yards. It just has to be effective, and it was not effective at all against Indiana. Like He said something about that their offense is predicated on hitting the deep ball, which I like half believe. I, I didn't believe it all when he said it, and then I went and looked at the numbers, and they actually do throw deep a little more than I thought they did. Um, I think they need to hit some of those against Wisconsin. I don't think JT Barrett needs to be slinging it around, completing 25 passes and have 300 yards and three touchdowns at the end of the game. But he has to do something to keep Wisconsin from just putting eight guys in a box well, you, and stopping whatever. Like I know it's a three-headed rushing attack, but it's still one-dimensional, even though it's three different guys running the ball. If, if Wisconsin doesn't have to worry about completing passes down the field at all, which was the case a week ago, then it's, you have a real problem. Well, let me ask you this because you watch the film and you are the, the film. <laughs> I am by no means a film expert. He broke it down. He actually clipped him up and put it on a projector on his living room wall. Did you feel – that Ohio State has a systematic issue in their passing game by watching it? Or did you feel like what Urban Meyer said was factual and that this happened because they just had a few misfires? Um, more of the latter. Although I didn't see – like I break down JT Barrett's numbers every week, and I, I might be wrong on this, but I thought like maybe only one of the throws was pressured. Like he had a pretty decent amount of time to throw most of the balls. And it felt like guys were open. Well, so I think like JT Barrett was just off. Well, I, but I really think I, it, it felt like Indiana dropped eight guys, I think, in coverage a decent amount of the time. Yes. And it felt like you could see JT hesitating on some of the throws. He did have time, but you could see him hesitating. And I think he was hesitating because there were so many defenders in coverage. And then I don't know that the guys were running great routes. And so this is one of those things That's where you, point. you've got to get open. So a lot of times it makes the quarterback look hesitant. It makes the quarterback look like he's uncomfortable in the pocket. But if we had the big broad view of it, it might just be like, dude, there were four guys in the route. There were eight guys in coverage and the routes were not clip, were not crisp. Nobody got open. And Urban Meyer did say this week, some of the routes weren't great. And this, I think, goes back to the thing that we've been talking about all year. It's great to rotate receivers. It's lovely. It's wonderful. They had nine different guys who can play. I'd rather have two guys who can get open consistently. Who can get open, and once you figure out who can get open, put them on the field and keep them there. Is Noah Brown uncoverable? Because if he is, what's happening? I, I don't understand. He's still just in the rotation. It's like if you have a guy who is unquestionably your best receiver, I do not understand why he is not constantly in the frame of mind. I'll never understand it. I don't get it. And in favor of who and what? Like why he's not looking at him at every throw? Or what, why, why he's, he's not, not visibly open? Or why he's not playing? Why is, I mean, he's just, he is nothing more than part of the rotation. That is still, maybe they're just being really smart. I think they're being really smart with Nick Bosa. 
and his comeback from an ACL injury, but that's a true freshman. You get that on the defensive line. He's just in the rotation. It just is very interesting that Noah Brown does not seem to be treated any different, right? He seems like he's not treated any differently than Johnny Dixon. Yeah, it's all the same. And when we saw or anybody else, and what he did against Oklahoma was really impressive. I thought. I don't know. I don't know. If there, I don't know if there's another receiver on the roster that can do the things he did against Oklahoma. I mean, it was not just the crazy catches he made, but just the fact that you got four. You were consistent, and maybe that was Oklahoma's glaring weakness. But if you're capable of catching four passes for touchdowns in that stage, then I don't understand how and why you're not more than just part of the rotation. I thought that that was game was the beginning of what might be one of the best receivers in the Big Ten, and right. now he's just kind of whatever. Yeah, no, I feel like this is going to be something we're going to be talking about all year. I picked, you know, I predicted him to have nine catches the next week. Bill before the season predicted him to catch seventy passes. I predicted him to have three touchdowns against. I forgot Indiana. I did that. <laughs> and and we've just all been wrong because I think we're just all we're all sort of waiting for it to come and we're going by what people say about the guy and so far he's still just a guy in the rotation. Like, okay. And the injury thing I don't understand and well, I don't want to go too far into it, but like it, I don't want. But like if you're playing, then you're playing, right? No, I mean, and I think it, I think some part of the cornerback rotation. Uh, Goes along with like making sure you don't put too much on Marshawn Lattimore's hamstrings. I know they say they don't treat him any differently, but I do, I do get being careful with guys who had really bad injury problems and Marshawn Lattimore having hamstring surgery and Noah Brown breaking his leg like that. Those are really major injuries. So I do obviously playing 25 snaps a game. I, I don't know how many snaps Noah Brown's playing, but. Playing 25 snaps a game versus 55 snaps a game is is easier on your body. Of course it is. So yeah. I think it's possible that they don't want to say that quite so, that clearly. Urban has sort of intimated that, yes, they're still we're, – we're easing them back in. So maybe that's a bigger part of it than we realize. But I think you hear what they say, you watch the guy make plays, and you think this is the guy I want on the field. Um, okay, we, we always ask for questions every week. You can always tweet us. At Bill Landis 25, at Doug Lay Maurice, at Ari Wasserman. And Bill, you said we have a potpourri of questions to choose from this week. We do, and like seven of them are about the receivers. Uh, So at Joe Cavs and Bo Brammer, and let's see. By the way, if you tweet us questions, we love you. Nikki Rubenstein, I all ask about the receivers, and I think, I feel like we, I'm trying to think if there's something we didn't just touch on in that conversation. So Bo, Bo Brammer on, on Twitter asks, like, is rotating six to seven receivers each game hurting the passing game? Doesn't seem like JT is on the same page as the receiver. And I think all three of us would say that yeah, maybe they are rotating too much, right? I mean, it's hard because guy, everybody always talks about what they want to talk about. So when you have great receivers who have been with the quarterback for a long time, everybody talks about, oh, uh, we, we threw together in the summer and I know how they're going to break off a route. We don't even have to talk about it. We're so connected. And you get the idea that, oh, it's so important for a quarterback and a receiver to have that great relationship. But then if you have nine receivers and you throw nine receivers out there, then you say it's great to rotate. But if you have nine receivers, it's impossible for all nine receivers to have the same relationship that you would have if you were a number one guy who was catching 100 balls of practice from one quarterback. So so I don't know. I, 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 well, here's it the doesn't seem like it's – okay, they, here are the two facts. They rotate receivers – Passing game, not great. 
So what, are those two things connected? I don't know. And the thing I don't understand, and I'll ask you both this. There's been a lot of talented plays made, I guess, and we've heard a lot about all the receivers. Of all the receivers, are there any receivers that you've watched and said, hey, this guy cannot be off the field? I mean, I buy the things they're saying about Paris Campbell as a complete player, and Urban Meyer has made the Evan Spencer comparison a million times, and I thought in 2014, the Devin Smith, Evan Spencer pairing at receiver was excellent for that team because Devin Smith was a deep threat that could change the game, and Evan Spencer, and we all wrote about it a million times, was a great big part of them running effectively and getting running backs to the second level. They had very, very, very different roles to play, they both played the roles they were required to play very, very well. So if Paris Campbell is getting compared to Evan Spencer, then I'm all for that. Keep Paris Campbell on the field. But in terms of guys making huge plays, I, I, consistently it's only Noah Brown against Oklahoma. I mean, is Curtis Samuel in the mix? I mean, you asked for about receivers? I don't I don't. Probably not. Yeah, way, then no. if he's not in the mix, then I, Paris Campbell would be the only one I think, like Doug said. He's in tote six, okay? He's in tote six. Part of Zone 6, part of Tote to- Nation is so dumb. It's a bad name. It is a bad name. I told that to Zach Smith. I said, I think it's a bad name. And he said he agrees. But The, the, the Tote 6? Yeah. But what about, but, but don't no, no, you? No, it's Tote Nation. He tote Nation. Says. But don't you want a Tote Nation tote bag? No. That's what I would want. I would want a Tote Nation tote bag. It sounds like something that you would get for free if you called and donated to PBS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to another question <laughs> that's not about the receivers. So Evan Moore, he asked the question straight up, can Damon Webb defend the slant pass? Uh, Damon Webb got beat on a, on a pass, uh, touchdown pass against Indiana. Um, he probably can defend that. He got beat on that one play. But I think a, a larger question of maybe what we think of Damon Webb in that role of safety is an interesting one because we talk so much about the secondary. The corners in particular, but then Malik Hooker, he had another interception. He has four uh, this season. Malik Hooker is getting talked about as much as anybody, and Damon Webb. I don't like. I don't even know if Damon Webb's name has been said in news conferences. If anyone's asked about him, a lot of people I felt like on Twitter on Saturday were kind of giving him a hard time. People, I think more than like he might be the most criticized player on the defense, and I don't even know if it's because he's playing poorly or if it's just because he doesn't have four interceptions. So, I, like, do we think that Damon Webb is like a vulnerability on the back end of the defense, or is he just a guy who's not in position to make as many plays as Malik Hooker is? Yeah, I I don't know. I can't say that I've really watched Damon Webb that much. I will say this. I was again I was at the Browns game on Sunday and I, Ari, I know you wrote last week and you were right, like the idea of Ohio State beating the Browns is silly. I legitimately think Ohio State's secondary is better than the Browns secondary. Um, legitimately. Legitimately. Like I think if you I think if you put Denzel Ward, Marshawn Lattimore, Gary on Conley, Malik Hooker, and Damon Webb on the field right now, instead of what the Browns put out there, they would be better. So Damon Webb's part of that. I mean, if he's, it's one of those things again, if he's the quote, and I'm not saying, if he's the quote worst player of an exceptional group, you're still pretty good. It's one of those things with safeties are a little bit like referees. Yeah. It's Maybe if, you don't notice them. If yeah. you don't notice them, that means they're not getting, what did people notice that he got beat he got once? Beat on one one but it's not like we've been saying, oh my gosh, Damon Webb's getting beat all over the field. So I, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think from what I can tell, he's played fine. I, will, I thought that Oklahoma attacked him a little bit early on in that game, but then stopped, and maybe he made some adjustments. Um, I do think it's possible maybe that in this world where Ohio State's rotating, that perhaps we might see maybe some Eric Smith play. Um, 
whether it's in Damon Webb's safety spot or Malik Hooker's safety spot, but I'm actually kind of surprised to this point that we haven't seen some rotation um, with those two safety positions. Um, let's see, other questions. Can anyone explain the lack of touches for Curtis Samuel this past week? Who's that from? That's from uh, the real RLW, his Twitter handle. Oh, he was my... Uh, yeah, he was your partner. He was my picking picks. partner yeah. one week. What's up, real? Um, real recognize real? Uh, no, it's inexplicable. I don't think Urban Meyer can explain it. Bill held his feet to the fire after the game Saturday. It's inexplicable and it's inexcusable. I don't understand how you're in a world where, and I, 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 this will be like the 19th time I've thrown a stat out, but it just it's mind-boggling to me that Ohio State's first 25 offensive plays, Curtis Samuel touched the ball once, and I think it was uh, it was on a handoff, and they threw him a ball one other time, and JT Barrett missed him. But even two targets or one target and one handoff in the first 25 plays. It's crazy. He's your best player. It's not even close. The guy's on pace for 1,000 yards rushing and 1,000 yards receiving. You don't give him the ball, especially early on when your offense is clearly struggling to get going. doesn't make any sense to me. One thing I want to, I will interject. He, is, he has 73 uh, offensive touches. That's 23 receptions and 50 carries yeah. through five games. That's 15 per game. I think before the Indiana game, I thought they did a good job. Getting yes. Curtis Samuel the ball yes. and integrating him naturally into the game as both a receiver and a runner. I think they actually were doing an exceptional job. And I think that's why it was so glaring when they didn't go to him. So I think they know it. I think they know it's not acceptable. I think it's one of those things where you're calling plays and you can get wrapped up in some stuff and sort of lose your way. Uh, I don't think it'll happen again. Yeah, I agree. Okay, we'll do... Uh... We'll do one more question, and maybe we can't answer this, but I, I'm interested to know if you guys have an opinion, just because we just saw Indiana this past week. Like, where do we think Indiana is in the hierarchy of Big Ten teams right now? This question is from, uh, the Twitter handle is Ace1108 on Twitter. Uh, Asif asked the question, um, do we think that, like, Indiana is under Ohio, uh, clearly under Ohio State and Michigan, and Wisconsin, but like, are they under Nebraska and are they under Penn State, or is Indiana like legitimately the fourth best team in the Big Ten right now? I think Indiana is probably the team hurt most by the imbalance between East and West, and I still think there is an imbalance, even though Wisconsin and Nebraska are both in the top ten. I think they are clearly behind Michigan. I know they beat Michigan State, but I'm looking a little broader view. They're just in a tough spot um, with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and Michigan State on their side. I think they I think they could be Minnesota, yeah, long term. And Minnesota on the side of the West is like the team that's like, well, if somebody stumbles, Minnesota's there ready to fill the gap. But on in the East, Indiana is just going to be trying to be the, be better than Rutgers and Maryland to be the fifth best team in the East. Like, are we talking about like this year though? I think he means this year. But like right now, I don't know. Are they actually better than Michigan State? I mean, are they going to finish with a better Big Ten record than Michigan State? I don't, I don't know. Probably not. I think it'd be safe to say five. Which you think they're huge. as high as the fifth yeah. best? I don't think they're that high. I think they're better than Penn State. So if you put Penn State. I don't think they're better than Penn State. That'll be an interesting game. Let's bet on that. All right. 500 bucks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the loser has to wear tidy whities <laughs> No, you do it my way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't even think about that. Come on, James Franklin. Um, I mean, I think Ohio State, Michigan, 
Wisconsin, Nebraska are all in the top ten. I don't think Indiana's as good as Iowa. Okay, so you're Iowa, Indiana. Yeah, I mean, so. you don't, so then the thing that you're saying then right now is that Indiana is not nearly as good as people are trying to make them be. Well, I mean, I don't know how good people because are if you're to saying Indiana's eight or ten, I mean, they're better than Rutgers. They're better than Purdue. They're better than Illinois. They're probably better than Maryland. I don't know if they're better than anybody else for sure. So they're they're better than four of the fourteen. Indiana for sure. Penn State game will be really interesting because I think Iowa is really down too for some reason. We are we are gonna make that Penn State Indiana game be really. What are they playing? Look it up, Dollaby. Uh, hey, did you get any questions? Because I'm. Out. I didn't. I asked three times. So thanks okay. for everybody for liking uh, Bill more than me. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll scoot in under an hour then here, which is good. I always like having the five on the uh, the time to start the podcast. So all week, Cleveland.com slash OSU. You can read our stories. We have uh, videos up there. We have all kinds of stuff. All three of us will be. In Wisconsin for the game on Saturday night. Uh, you can always find this podcast every Wednesday morning at cleveland.com slash OSU, or you can subscribe to us on iTunes. We're called Buckeye Talk because we talk Buckeyes. So thank you once again for making this the most popular podcast on the World Wide Web. For Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice, and this was Buckeye Talk.